1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective 2020 on Vision
0: Lots of Christians want to see Jesus, to hear His voice or to have some form of tangible experience of God. Our conversation today is really about a glimpse that we can see of the divine with the miraculous interventions of God in the crises and the circumstances of people's lives. And who better to describe the stories and the miracles than a highly respected Christian doctor? Well, our special guest today has come across one remarkable story after another, demonstrating hope, power and survival against all odds, Ernest Crocker has been a witness to many interventions of God during his own life and in his new book called The Man in White, he's brought together testimonies from around the world of people who have seen God do extraordinary things in and through their lives. Dr. Ernest Crocker is an author, a speaker, physician and photographer living in Sydney. He was founding director of nuclear medicine and Ultrasound at Westmead Hospital, and he is the New South Wales State Chair of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. Ernest Crocker, a special welcome along to 2020.
1: Thank you, Neil. Great to be here.
0: and congratulations on the latest book, and I'll mention your other titles too uh, towards the end of our conversation, but... When we talk about miracles and doctors, uh, it does really, uh, it's a certain sense uh, here in which that's a good mix to have a doctor talking about miraculous happenings. What are your thoughts about doctors and the way doctors might look at miracles a little differently to other people?
1: Uh Very good question. Well, see, doctors have to be sceptics and they're cynical. Uh, If they weren't, they wouldn't be a very good doctor They have to be objective They have to be able to look at the evidence at hand And make rational decisions And they wouldn't be much good to you as a doctor If they couldn't do that And I guess I was exactly there, Neil Um, Especially as a young doctor I'd just uh, graduated through medicine Become a member of the College of Physicians I'd been a Christian for some years And then uh, I started hearing about God healing I thought, oh, I can't buy this one You know, we know all about healing now. That was then, that's not now. But it got to me, Neil, and eventually one Sunday night my wife and I sat down and we said, Lord, if you heal today, we need to know. And, Lord, I give you one week to prove it. Mm. And I'm so embarrassed when I remember this. Um, If in a week's time we haven't seen any evidence of your healing now, well, I'm happy to be a Christian doctor and just move on. Well, next day, Neil, I think you know the story. Uh, I was working at Prince Alfred. I got called on out of the blue to run an emergency doctor service that night. And I got called to the home of a lady who had a cardiac arrest in front of my eyes in Sydney. I worked on her. She stayed dead. I couldn't save her. I even put a needle into her heart. Gave adrenaline straight into the heart and she died on me. And then as I was kneeling by her side, pumping her and pumping her, I said, now's the time, now's the time. And I prayed for Neil, and she shut it and then nothing. The ambulance had lost the address. They eventually came. We got her to the Prince Alfred Hospital. The guys wouldn't accept it because she's a DOA. But I knew them. I said, come on, guys, let's get her in, let's get her in, give it a go. Neil, within quite quarter of an hour, she had was back in sinus rhythm and awake, complaining of a sore chest. And I've never, ever doubted God again. That that was my Ebenezer, Neil, and that's what's put me on this path of writing stories like this. Whenever I doubt, I think, no, I was there. I saw it. God did something remarkable. Neil, we have a spiritual, a, a supernatural God. We know that. And if we have a supernatural God, we should expect him to do supernatural things.
0: Well, I think listeners will be excited by the idea of the conversation we're about to have Uh, when they hear your story and really the first miracle that you've prayed for and God has provided and it's basically raising someone from the dead. And uh, I know that there'll be some sceptics out there because, as you say, uh, doctors are supposed to be sceptical. You're men and women of science. But secular mm. science says miracles don't happen. And so secular science tries to explain away the miracle. When you're a Christian doctor, you're, you're, on, another, you're on another dimension. You're on another level. And in fact, you're looking for the evidence that supports the miracle. There's a different way of looking at things here. Any thoughts there?
1: Yes, I do. and uh, Very interesting insight. Um, I interviewed Graham, uh, Professor Graham Clark, the inventor of the bionic ear, um, for this book. And his is a remarkable story. Um, let me uh, let me quote to you from something he said to me. I'll give you a moment to he flick said, through. Uh, yep. Oh, I've got it. He said, uh, what absolutely intrigues me is that it was as like though I was in constant dialogue with a supreme being. Now this is the guy that invented the bionic ear. There are half a million people in the world now with bionic ears. But I said to him, he said, we talked about brain plasticity, how the brain, um, all, all the neurons sort of meet up by about the time you're 20 and it's very hard to learn things. And, uh, and, uh, and I said to him, Graham, do you think when Jesus prayed for the blind man, he touched his eyes, he said, I see men as trees walking. And he said, yes, that's entirely reasonable. I said, now with our understanding of brain plasticity, Do you think when the second time he prayed for him, he prayed for his brain so he was able to interpret what he was able to see? He said, yes, I think that's entirely reasonable. So it's it's important for us to look sometimes at these things, but sometimes we just have to take it on trust that God can do things that we just can't do.
0: I think you enlarge a little too on Graham Clark's story in your book because right from his childhood years, he had anticipated healing the deaf. And so here we have a different form of miracle here, the sort of miracle that happens when you receive something that we might even say is a level of inspiration, even revelation as a child as to what you might do. And then your whole life is directed towards making that happen and then on the other hand what happens is there are tens or hundreds of thousands that are recipients of something that's been brought about in your life by god i think you could probably classify that as a miracle too
1: yes i think so i, I did i did challenge him on this when he was just a young boy in sunday school he said to his sunday school teacher or oh, he said to his kindergarten teacher one day i'm going to help the deaf to hear and then when he was a teenager to his sunday school teacher one day i'm going to teach the deaf to hear and then as a young professor, he wrote in the Sydney Telegraph, we're well on our way to finding a way for the deaf to hear, and they ridiculed him. Even the professors called him Clark the Clown. Clark the Clown. And yet he did it. He did it with a, because God led him through it in a marvellous way. And I, I think that's quite miraculous. <laughs>
0: This idea of, uh, as you describe Graham Clark, this sort of connection to the divine uh, through your life, and uh, and I imagine that as a Christian doctor, and since that miracle that you saw on that night with that woman coming (coughs) back to life, Hmm. I imagine that uh, right throughout your treatment of you know in critical situations, uh, that that closeness to God would would necessarily be there. Has that been there? Has that been your story?
1: My closeness to God. Yes, I mean I'm a human being, and I doubt like everybody else. But but I've come to realise, and I guess that's why I've written this written this book, Neil. That there are so many Christians I find that are interested in the history of Jesus. They want to go to Bible studies and learn what he did, how he lived, what he was like, all this sort of stuff. That they they need they need to understand. They can know him. And Neil, I sit in my have my quiet time every morning about six o'clock with my cuppa, and sit in front of the television which is turned off and say, Lord, what do you want to show me today? And he'll say, just quietly, I've never I've never heard the audible voice of God. But I know when he talks to me, he'll say, contact so and so. He needs prayer today. And I'll do it. And I get a phone call. Well, how did you know I needed prayer? And this is this is this is the most convincing thing to me now that we have a personal God. Uh, and that he is vitally interested in us and he will lead us and guide us and prepare us and show us his purpose for our lives.
0: As you say, knowing God actually is more important than the miracle uh, because uh, there's a certain sense here, and I know uh, that when you're a doctor and you see a miraculous intervention and a patient is saved... Or, mm-hmm. as you say, you know, you can ring a patient, you felt a certain uh, sense, uh, you know, God saying, pick up the phone, call, pray for that particular mm-hmm. patient. Well, mm-hmm. it's all right f- for the, when the miracle happens, there's a testimony there. But the knowing God miracle happens even when the miracle doesn't occur. And I'm sure, and uh, take you down a, a little track here, I'm sure you've lost patience. And uh, perhaps you 've had that prayer and and the miracle hasn 't happened, but in knowing God, you were able to understand, and you 're able to you know boil down the reality and the meaning of what 's been happening is that an is that an interesting uh, concept to be thinking about knowing God being even more important than the miracle
1: yeah and, it's, and it becomes more evident in retrospect we don 't always understand at the time Neil you know I was called to the home of a, a close relative uh, many years ago and uh, the, the child had perished, um, a terrible accident, and she died in her bedroom, and I prayed for her. I did everything that I did for this other lady, and nothing worked. She stayed dead, just a, just a teenage girl, and it was dreadful, and I stayed with the family all night. And, you know, we couldn't understand why that would happen. But now I look back over the 20-odd years since that time, and you can read the story. It's in the book. It's all about a new song. It's a story about my nephew Matt, who's a songwriter with Hillsong, and he co-wrote "Oceans Where Feet May Fail," and uh, he wrote by himself "I Surrender," which is a wonderful song. He co-wrote "The Creed," so I'm sure your you, your listeners would know some of these some of these stories. But when I see back and I see the way God has sort of worked in his life over the years. I can see God's miraculous hand of blessing on his entire family. You know, he's he, he's written some of the most wonderful worship songs. His mother does part-time missionary work in India. His father um, is a mentor to young Christians. And, you know, I've been pregnant pause. I think it's very important. I guess you do too as an interviewer. But I find when I just, I'm quiet for a minute, people will say what I need to hear. And Matt said to me, I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. I think I'm pretty good at what I do, but I'm not that good. I'm not good enough to be where I am. God takes the little that I have and makes it work in ways that I could never imagine. I believe if I'm faithful in a little, God will do the rest. And uh, this has been the 20-year follow-on from that tragedy where a miracle didn't happen at the time, but it's happened many times since.
0: The miracles happen. Sometimes the miracle doesn't happen. But as I hear you reflecting on these things, earned, it makes me think I want my doctor uh, to have faith in God, to believe in miracles, because when I'm in that moment of crisis and... Uh, and uh, I live or die, and there might be good reason to live on, and there might be good reason to die as well. Uh, you know, we're being promoted to glory, but uh, but there is a certain sense in which uh, having confidence and understanding that your doctor believes that God can intervene in dreadful circumstances uh, takes you way beyond just the mechanics of just being a scientific doctor, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, God is—he's uh, the final arbiter. He's um, and we have. Uh, I, I, when I asked to pray for somebody who's who's um, who's ill, I just I, I seek the Lord. Lord, how do I pray for this person? Are you going to t- I believe death is part of healing, and sometimes God wants to take them home. Sometimes He wants to heal them, and all sorts all sorts of things can happen like that. If you read a st- one of the stories, is the dean of law from the University of New England, who's a wonderful Christian guy. Uh, got to know him under fairly remarkable circumstances, but. If you read his story, you'll see that he was, got a phone call from his doctor on the way down to ANU where he was going to lecture. He said, better pull over, mate, I've got something to tell you. And he pulled over beside Lake George. And he said, you've got four, stage four uh, Hodgkin's lymph, non, uh, lymphoma. You've got lymphoma. You've got a huge mass in your liver. I need to see you urgently. And he was given two months to live. But that was 12 years ago. And he was totally healed. And his witness as a university professor now is, is fantastic, you know. So it does happen. But, you know, he. but what he said, he said, I wasn't afraid. I knew if I was going to die, I'd happily go to be with the Lord. And I guess that's the important thing. The Lord took the fear out of dying. He said, I'll tell you now, I had no fear of dying. But the Lord did choose to save me. So... I guess that's another angle.
0: Death, where is your sting? And so, even that sort well, of bedside, right. even yes. the bedside manner that you would have as a Christian doctor is going to have a whole dimension that isn't going to be there by the secular, mm-hmm. mechanical, scientific doctor—a a powerful thing. Mm. And you're not alone in this, urn because. You're the New South Wales chair of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, Christian doctors who are a part of this fellowship. Give us a little description of what of what happens with the uh, with the fellowship as it as it functions.
1: Well, I'd love to. Yeah, we we represent uh, you know many hundreds of Christian doctors uh, here in Australia, and. Uh, and we have conferences, we have uh, sub meetings, we call them, with speakers and prayer meetings and all that sort of stuff. But this year it's been different because we can't meet face to face. You'd be irresponsible to bring a couple of hundred doctors face to face in 2020. You might give them all COVID. So um, one thing we have done, one, one thing I initiated in late February was a prayer meeting on Friday nights. And we've just had our 40th consecutive weekly prayer meeting, one hour on Friday nights. And we attract up to 50 healthcare workers, wow. not only from Australia, but um, from Pakistan, uh, from South Sudan, uh, from the UK, from Asia, from Africa, all over the place. And we battled with this COVID thing. And uh, we watched and we prayed and we persisted and we've been right through it. And it's been like sitting at Jesus' feet. Um, I've just written a review of, of what's happened during those 40 sessions. And it's been remarkable. It's been a masterclass from God in leading us through it. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective. 2020 on Vision.
0: Well, we're talking through issues around miracles this hour and our special guest is Dr. Ernest Crocker, author, speaker, physician, photographer, living in Sydney. He was the founding director of nuclear medicine and ultrasound at Westmead Hospital. He's the New South Wales state chair of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. And just before that short break, uh, Ern was sharing that Christian doctors on their knees before God in that sense of gathering for prayer and uh, seeking God is as, as to how to navigate the COVID crisis. Uh, Ern, you were saying that that uh, this is a year that uh, that's brought you to your knees in prayer. Uh, give us some insights here into how doctors have been uh, getting inspiration about navigating through this crisis.
1: Well, um, it's been interesting. We've just finished our 40th consecutive Friday night hourly pre-meeting with up to 50 doctors, normally around 25 to 30 present from around the world. And, you know, I'll say to somebody, I'll say, why don't you join us for prayer on Friday night? And I'll say, oh, got to watch TV with the kids, uh, or we're going out for Chinese. Now, <laughs> if I were to say to you, Friday night, I'm having the Prime Minister for dinner, and we've got a spare spot at the table, would you like to come? He'd love to talk to you. Oh, I'll be there. <laughs> well, in fact, when we, when we meet in prayer, we're meeting with the Lord of the Universe, and I think... A lot of people don't really understand that. Um, and I think we understand that better this year. Now, when we started, we did all the usual things. We prayed, you know, people were getting silly, they were buying toilet paper, they were playing the violin to each other, and, and that was all good too. Then we started to realise what a serious business this was. I think we were much inspired by the Prime Minister on Anzac Day when he quoted the uh, that the wonderful soldier, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far to go together. So we thought, well we'll go together. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a that, that, that helped me enormously that. We very quickly become began to understand that our struggle was not against flesh and blood. Um, mm-hmm. it was against rulers and powers, against world forces in this present darkness. God didn't cause this pandemic, but he's allowing it to happen for a purpose. And as we moved on, each week I would Press him to God and say, well, what do you want to say to us next week? Where are you leading us to? The next thing that came up was Professor John Whitehall uh, joined us. And John, had, you've had him interviewed, I think, Neil. Yes, yes. And, uh, and, you know, he was having some issues with things like the gender dysphoria and uh, things that we've been we've been working against. And he said, I just don't know how to pray about some of these things. And we said, we understand that our... our we said, we went to the verse." Uh, we don't know how to pray as we ought. It's become clear that we don't always know how to pray in these times. But the Bible assures us that the Spirit himself helps us in weakness and intercedes for us. So he allowed the Holy Spirit to pray through us, because he knew what to pray for. And then he said, we said, Lord, but it's getting worse. Um, we don't really understand what's going on. And then God gave us the verse, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And so we prayed about that, and that God would reveal these things to us. But we said, we still don't really understand what you're doing here, but we could see amazing things happen. For instance, we had a, a doctor from South Sudan, and we saw him there on the screen I was in, you know, in a mud hut with a grass roof, and he'd just been bitten by a scorpion, and he had malaria. Mm-hmm. We prayed for him, and he was healed. And he and his wife found a little boy that had been lying in the mud for three days, thought dead. Um, six years of age and they brought him home and he was just barely alive. We prayed for him, young Emmanuel his name was. The next week there is Dr. Dan sitting there in Africa nursing this little boy who's smiling and on top of the world. You know we saw these things. We prayed for a doctor in Kyrgyzstan and he and his wife were both suffering from COVID. She lost a sense of smell. We prayed for them both that were totally healed and now they've been repatriated. So we started to see God move. Well, we said, uh, there's still much we don't understand. And we read the verse, and the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed to us belong to us. So we knew that we must trust him with the things we didn't understand and rejoice in the things that were revealed to us. Then the next week was, you must walk by faith and not by sight, not what you are seeing. And finally of this year, the wonderful verse from Isaiah, I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness. Secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by name. And so we are living in a time of darkness, spiritual darkness across the world. But God is revealing these treasures from the darkness that we all know that He is God. So that's the path we've followed over 40 weeks. And it's been quite mind boggling.
0: And I think listeners will hear what you are describing what happens when you're in a prayer meeting and if you're a doctor and uh, just appreciating that uh, while we've largely missed a bullet uh, here, dodged a bullet with uh, with COVID in Australia, it hasn't been like that around the world, but in those early, uh, earlier times dealing with COVID, no doubt, and you recognise that as a physician you're on the front line and your life is in fact uh, under threat, what happens in that prayer time is the strength of God comes and the courage and the resilience, the optimism to see this through, faith to be able to make a difference uh, in people's lives. That's the sort of strength that comes from that relationship knowing God uh, when you're facing these sorts of challenges, Ern,
1: That's right. You know, the Bible says, in this world you have tribulation, but fear not, I've overcome the world. And, uh, And that's the only way we can go through it. You know, I mean, when my father was dying, he had some pain. He said to the doctor looking after him, giving him palliative care, Doctor, why won't God take away the pain? And I remember the doctor saying, Mr. Crocker, uh, God's job is not to take away the pain but to lead us through it. And then he led Dad through it, but the doctor was also able to give him pain relief. So in marvellous ways, you know, God engineered and grac- graciously led my father through that final days.
0: Wow. And uh, Psalm 23 comes to mind, you know, walking through oh, yeah. the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Hey, let's come back to your book here. Uh, and <laughs> hey, we've got we've gotten on a little bit of a tangent there. I don't think listeners will mind hearing your heartbeat on that. And there might even be some contribution from listeners as we open our talk back line on 1-800-316-316. The man yeah. in white. Now, there are biblical images of... Uh, God and Bright Light and uh, White Garments. Is this the inspiration for your book title? You know, I started finding
1: that that, that uh, as people gave me stories, there was often featured a man in bright apparel that might have been in a dream and sometimes. In fact, in, uh, in Indonesia, I, I, I wrote in my last book about Andrew Chan, who was executed, of the Bali Nine, and what a great guy he was. And in this book, I've written about his wife. Who's a good friend now, uh, Phoebe Chan? But he was ministering to a, a Muslim man while he was in prison, who kept being visited by a man in white, who said, "Follow me, and you'll be saved." And so the man in white seemed kept rising, kept coming up again and again, to finally the point in Revelation where it says that you know we will we will stand before the throne in robes of white, and we will be a man in white, or a woman in white, or a child in white when that day comes. So it just seemed the right. The right title for the book, and the right thing.
0: Interestingly, uh, as I was doing a little research on the uh, the man in white, I, I kept coming across uh, some some. Uh uh, some titles uh, you know in my Google search of uh, of, of people who are saying uh, why do people think that Jesus was a white man because uh, there's some descriptions there of uh, wearing white clothing of course uh, that could be taken to an extreme in the wrong way but uh, because Jesus of course as a Galilean Jew was likely quite uh, tanned uh, brown uh, so it's not that you're saying that Jesus was white but wearing white the man in white the brightness of the garments uh, this is a powerful image that we get uh, from a number of different places in the scriptures and uh, you know in Daniel chapter 7 uh, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the ancient of days took his seat his vestiture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool his throne was ablaze with flames so this idea of uh, of the white bright like beaming sun, sun brightness uh, of white. That's a, that's the sort of image that you get when you talk about the man in white.
1: Yes, it's not, not the colour of the skin. It's, it's 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 as you say, the clothing but interestingly enough there's one exception in the book and that's in the first chapter where I talk about Reg, the Pakistani surgeon who was saved from being beheaded. And while he was uh, kidnapped and held in prison in Afghanistan in a mountaintop hut, he headed Dream of a tall man in white over six feet uh, visiting him, giving him back his stolen passport and his car keys and things like that and just a few weeks later when he was uh, called up be- before the uh, these uh, guys that were going to uh, were going to kill him, uh, he was rescued by a man in white who actually happened to be a, a member of the council of Taliban, who was over six feet tall. Mm. Uh, who had heard that he was a good man, and uh, released him. So (laughs) this is one exception to the man in white, I suppose. This was was actually a member of the Council of Taliban, but he was dressed in a white robe. Interesting. (laughs) Yes. That's an amazing story. You've probably heard that one, but my gosh, it's amazing.
0: Ernest Crocker has been witness to many interventions of God during his life, and in his new book called The Man in White, he's brought together testimonies from around the world of people who have seen God do extraordinary things in and through their lives. You might even be familiar with that passage in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, at what is called the Transfiguration. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. There's certainly an image there, isn't there, of the Jesus dressed in white. Now, Dr. Ernest Crocker is our guest. He's an author, speaker, physician and photographer living in Sydney. He was founding director of nuclear medicine and ultrasound at Westmead Hospital and he is the New South Wales state chair of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. And before we go any further, let's come back to this story you were telling of Reg, who was released by the Taliban. Uh, He was going to be executed and an appearance of the person, the man in white. Take us back to this story. There was more you wanted to share just before the news.
1: Well, one thing which was an interesting confirmation, Reg was uh, a surgeon operating in a Red Cross hospital in northern Pakistan, and uh, he worked on quite a few Taliban people. They were allowed to come to the hospital, and he operated on them and saved many of their lives but several thousand he had operated on. But he was kidnapped one Saturday morning on his way to an outpatients in a remote area and held for three weeks in threat of beheading if he didn't convert to Islam. And on the last day, he said, no, I won't do it. And they took his blindfold off and there were several men sitting there in front of him with a collection of cops and a big guy dressed in black holding a knife to his neck and said, who said, unless you convert now, I will behead you. And amazingly, there's a bit of conversation went to and fro, but he heard a voice. He said, it was a soft voice, which I cannot otherwise describe. And it said, it was in Urdu. He said, it was a clear, audible, male voice that I cannot otherwise describe. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. And they thought, wow, that's amazing. And they continued, they were going to, they were going to execute him and the voice came again. The long and the short of it was, in a miraculous set of circumstances, he was finally released. But when he went back to his hospital, his wife, who was the dentist there, told him this, that on the second day after his kidnapping, she went to the hospital chapel and said, Lord, you must save my husband. She just opened the Bible at random, opened up the Psalms. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. You know, I mean, what an incredible uh, confirmation and uh, yeah, it, the story is really worth reading. It will change your life. Yeah.
0: And um, it's it's in your book. The miracles you describe, Ern, they happened to. And I'll just pick up your thoughts here. Uh, some of these yeah. people are your friends, are people that you know. Uh, some of these happened. Uh, these happened to professionals. Uh, you've got academics in there. A surgeon, as you were saying, uh, facing decapitation for his death. Uh, you've got mm. people who've escaped the ravages of war. You've even got a train robber story in there. So it's not everybody who's sort of you know highly uh, a- academically qualified, uh, but right. lots right. of the people that you do have in those stories are people who do have high level qualifications. And so there is certain a certain sense there that some credibility comes along with the testimony it is helpful isn't it when you've got people who are highly uh, educated uh, able to make these testimonies because they're perhaps a little more familiar with what sort of evidence to look for how do you describe those people that you've that you've got uh, testimonies that you've put in your book
1: Yes, well, that's not true. Oh, well, are there people that I either know and trust, or people that I've been able to review, or Google, or check their credentials, or you know, verify? I never, I'm a doctor. I can't. I can't say crazy things. I've got to verify anything I put in writing. I've known that. I've written seventy uh, peer-reviewed publications over the years. So, I mean, that's 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 my take on it. But something I said to you earlier. But a greater thing to it convinces me more, Neil. I talked to you about when I prayed for the lady who'd had the cardiac arrest, and that got me going. So I started talking to doctors saying, have you ever experienced this? A few had, but I found that people had amazing things happen in their lives, and that set me on a life of searching for these people. And this is what God was setting up, that you will be a writer and you will write these stories. So I don't have to look for these people. God sends them, but... I know that unless these interventions of God are recorded in writing, I will probably die with a person. And that's why it's so important that I know that God is saying these stories must be told. Because they are
0: life-changing. Good to write those down, as you say. And the evidence is there then for others to read. And interesting how evidence stays there for others to read. The question I'm asking today on our Facebook question is do you think miracle testimonies are enhanced when they have documented evidence? Well, there's a response or two coming through on our Facebook question today where people have made comments. Mike says, and he's making reference to Luke, the gospel writer in the Bible. Luke investigated the eyewitness written accounts But visible, verbal, first-person testimony is irrefutable The people saw and heard of Jesus' miracles long before they were written down. So there is a certain Mm. sense there that uh, when you write down the evidence, oftentimes there are many, many other eyewitnesses that are able to verify the evidence when it's written down. That's all, I guess, a part of uh, verifying the evidence when you're writing about these sorts of miracles today.
1: Yes, and you must be careful because uh, eyewitness evidence sort of changes as it gets passed along, uh, as we all know, and, and that's why. It, but that's why it's so incredibly important, you know, to 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 examine the evidence, um, uh, and that's that's what I do. Um,
0: can I tell you about Asif? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that, that's uh, Asif is uh, is an interesting one because this is not about a uh, healing so much as because sometimes we think that miracles are only healings. Of course, there's all sorts of ways that you can talk about and verify a miracle. But you've got this uh, story in your book from Asif. Give us some insight here into uh, uh, even the weather uh, being, uh, you know, subject to God.
1: Well, Asif is a lovely man. He is in, involved in world evangelism. He trains uh, Christian evangelists, a uh, very intelligent man, uh, born a Christian in Pakistan, educated in London, university educated. And a strong Anglican, uh, if I can say that. But he told a story, he said in the the table that I'm looking at right now, he sat across the table and told me the story that he'd been in Fiji some years ago. He was invited there to preach. And a lot of people came around the house where he was and he said, oh, what are they doing here? And uh, the pastor said, they want you to come and pray for them. So he eventually went to their houses to pray for them. And the last person they prayed for, he started to say, I'm terribly frightened, there's a dark figure that appears behind me when I'm alone in the house and I don't I'm very scared. So he, he witnessed to her and thought, My gosh, this sounds like a demonic sort of thing And the pastor said, Will you pray for her? And uh, he said, Oh no, this this is not my thing. You know, my thing is evangelism and training training people to be evangelists. He said, And God said to me Are you seriously telling me that you've been practicing these three ministries for almost three decades in your own strength? Stop making excuses and start praying. (laughs) He prayed for the woman and she went into convulsions, fell to the floor and he thought she was dead. In fact she wasn't and she was totally released and healed. But the amazing thing is a week later he was at Fiji airport preparing to fly to Sydney and they came on and said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the flights have been cancelled. There's a massive cyclone coming in, and it was Cyclone Pam, the largest, second largest cyclone ever to hit the Pacific in recorded history. And there are storms raging outside. All is cancelled till at least tomorrow morning to we can see what's happening. And he immediately thought what had happened the week before. And he said, he prayed, he said, Lord, they are saying that this cyclone is very powerful but it's not more powerful than you, is it? He said, I immediately heard somebody laugh loudly, but I had no idea who it was. And the Lord spoke to me again for the second time that week, as if you are right, it's not more powerful than I. This is not the point. The point is, do you have faith in me? He prayed that the cyclone would not come. And an hour later, he came on to say, miraculously, ladies and gentlemen, the cyclone has changed course. The storms are gone. We're loading planes immediately. Now, I thought, well, gee, this is a bit rich. So I wrote it all down, and he went home, to back to London. And I wrote to him and said, I said, have you got a record of the plane you're on or the date of that? And he, he did. He sent me the plane he was on, the Jetstar flight, and also the date. And I Googled it. And indeed. I looked at the weather at Fiji Airport that day. Massive storms came in at one o'clock. Were all gone by five. I checked the cyclone on the cyclone tracking station in Hawaii, run by the US Air Force and Navy. They tracked the cyclone and showed that at three o'clock that day, four o'clock that day, it changed direction and gone southwest. And you can see a picture of that in the book. So, and these are remarkable things that will challenge you, and they just as they challenge me. But as he said, we have a supernatural God. We can expect Him to do supernatural things. So I leave that with you for your readers and your yeah. listeners.
0: Isn't it interesting, Ern? Because there's always going to be skeptics, and oh, yeah. uh, and as you say, as a medical man, you are paid to be a skeptic. I mean, that's what you're supposed yeah. to do. You're supposed to be a skeptic. Yeah. So it's actually not such a bad thing. Skepticism actually has some good points to it. Um, Interesting that one of our responses on our Facebook post today, Morgan, says it makes no difference to the person receiving the miracle. If documented evidence helps to convince someone of the miraculous power of God and it increases their faith, sure. But this is the interesting thing, isn't it? That when the miracle happens to you... It's completely irrelevant as to what other people might think because the evidence, actually, the proof is in the pudding. It's in the individual. If you've actually seen and experienced some level of the miraculous power of God, uh, you don't need a whole lot more convincing.
1: That's right. No we regard that as a gift of faith. And I think most people at some stage get some gift of faith. And as I said, in Ebenezer, something you can go back to. But yeah, I saw that. I was there. I, I, I know that that was God at the time. And therefore... These stories are testimonies, Neil, but testimonies are prophetic. They tell us what God has done, what he's doing today, and what he can do in the future. And I I think that's one of the important reasons for telling them. But yes, they're important, particularly important to the person who uh, experiences them at the time.
0: I often do like to reflect on that idea about what God has done because whenever there is evidence of a miracle that happened today, that's an affirmation that the miracles that we read about in the Bible happened as well. So they're not just something from history. They become very much alive when you see and appreciate miracles happening today because the miracles that happen today happen because Jesus said, greater things will you do, because he's going to be with the Father, and of course he sent the Holy Spirit, and uh, then his followers, uh, who do those same things that Jesus said to do as they take the gospel. Uh, Those miracles do happen, and they affirm the truth of the scriptures. So it's a very dynamic thing, isn't it? When you see a miracle happening today, you've got an affirmation of Jesus himself, what he did 2,000 years ago.
1: Yes, and the Bible says Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever. And he said, I'm sending you another comforter, and that's the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I get so upset when people almost disregard the Holy Spirit today because, you know, he's there. Yes, he leads us to Jesus. But he also is there, available to walk through his walk through every day with us. Taking I, every day, I sort of say, "Lord, lead me by the hand, Holy Spirit, just guide me, lead me into whatever path you have for me today." And he does, and he does, and it's usually obvious in retrospect. <laughs> yeah. Hey,
0: yeah. the man in white, provoking yeah. a re-examining of your relationship with God. Uh, Something special in that because, and I know listeners will think when you hear someone's testimony of how God has done something pretty amazing and testimonies are happening every week in churches, uh, there's this challenge there, isn't there? Because uh, if I am distanced from God, if I'm feeling detached and separated, if I'm feeling out and I'm isolated, whenever you hear those testimonies, uh, you're led back to the truth of the scriptures and you're led to a place where you re-examine your relationship with God, even in that very point, it's it's so powerful. What happens with the testimony here? Your thoughts on this idea of uh, of of a miracle happening that causes you to re-examine that relationship? Ern, well, I'm not
1: sure how to approach that one. Um, I'd like to tell you about Jenny that made me examine my. Uh, my my thinking um, Jenny's a high school teacher Can I do that? Yeah, sure <laughs> She's a high school teacher in Sydney uh, uh, Came from Melbourne initially But a lovely lady Very intelligent high school teacher And she was having a quiet time one day Where as she said Doing a little bit of Bible roulette That many of us do Flipping through the Bible And um and she came to the verse, I was hungry and you fed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was in jail and you visited me. And she thought, well, that's all very interesting for a lady in the Western suburbs with a family, but what's that got to do with me? Two days later, God spoke to her, not audibly, but in a, in herself a and said, I want you to ma- visit a man in Long Bay Jail and his name is. And God gave her the first name and the surname. She said, oh, I'm going crazy. She talked to her husband. He said, well, you know, don't, don't ignore it. Went to a connect group. The connect group said, "Well, why don't you ring the president and see if there's somebody there of that name?" And there was. And she said, "Can I visit him?" They said, "No, uh, because I'm, if you're not a relative, i They said, "Oh, but this weekend is Mother's Day. Open visiting. You can do that." So she got out of her old Gregory's and uh, found it, or UBD, and found her way to Long Bay Jail. They showed her into a room and this guy came in and she said, are you so-and-so? He said, yes. And she said, well, you're going to think I'm crazy, but God has told me to come and visit you. And he started to cry. And he said, last Sunday night, I, I went to a the Sally's, had a meeting here in Long Bay Jail. They said, if anyone but like to know about Jesus come down the front, they gave me a, a brochure. I knew I couldn't read it because I'm very short-sighted, but when I tried to read it, I found I could. I thought, there's something crazy going on here. He said, I went back to my cell and said, Said, Lord, if you're real, send somebody to tell me about you. And he said, And here you are within the week. So these sort of things really challenge me and they push me right back. They provoke people to think, Wow, could that really happen? But I mean, this is an intelligent high school teacher, a wonderful lady. But that sort of miracle of, of I mean, for goodness sake, that's incredible, really. And that guy was soundly converted. Um, he was an alcoholic. He was, eventually, he was discharged from the prison into rehab. And uh, three weeks later, she thought, I'll, I'll write to him. So she wrote to him. Uh, and she said, I'll, I'll post a letter after school this afternoon. God said, no, you won't. You'll do it this morning. And so she did, even though she was late for school. She rang two days later and said, how is so-and-so? They said, well, you're the lady that wrote to him, are you? And she said, yes. She said, well... 48 hours ago, he decided to commit suicide. And then he you got your letter. <laughs> you read it, and he's become a Christian. And now that guy's in Perth. He's been taken in by a church. He's wonderfully changed. So, I mean, there's a couple of miracles there, really. The timing is, is impeccable.
0: Isn't it amazing what happens here with an intervention from God? Because you've got two people who don't know each other one yeah. who prays a prayer saying god reveal yourself another who yeah. hears uh, in in you would say hearing in a sense in the spirit uh, a name yeah. and a prompting to make that connection and there you have the miracle in what god has provided and and as you say people who are at their wits end people who are uh, contemplating even suicide Uh, When they experienced the miracle from God, and the miracle there was not necessarily some sort of amazing healing, but it was the connection and the proof that God was there and heard the prayer and sent someone who was a messenger to be able to, uh, to confirm that God in fact, is interested and is the loving God in your circumstance. So it does take, you know, people who are open to God. But some people, I'll just touch on this here with you, Ern. Some people are reluctant to even pray because they've been so skeptical about miracles. They say, well, I wouldn't pray for a miracle even for me because I don't expect it's going to happen. But really, you've got to come to a point where you say, well, I'm going to pray because then I'll, I'll never know if I don't. What are your thoughts for the idea of actually saying the prayer, even though you may be sceptical saying it?
1: Well, I was very sceptical about the Holy Spirit when I was a young medical doctor. And uh, my prayer was, Lord, if this is for real, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. But I'm, I'm not really all that impressed. It wasn't until I got to the point saying, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit, that things God anointed me with his Holy Spirit. And I think if you're feeding Him with God... You know, if you knock, if you if you ask, you, know, if, if, if you ask him to come in. If you ask him to show you his reality, to to prove himself, as I did, as embarrassed as I am in saying that, he does, and he will, and his word says he will.
0: Really powerful stuff. And uh, we're now running short of time here. Ern, your book is called *The Man in White*. Uh, I yes. imagine some people will be thinking, "Sounds like it'd make a good Christmas gift for someone," and I'm not uh, giving it a plug for that reason, except to say uh, <laughs> some people want to get a hold of it. But uh, so, uh, is it in uh, is it in Christian bookstores yet? I know it's just been released.
1: Uh, yeah, it's been in Australia for about three weeks. It was released in August in the UK. It should be in Coor- in Koorong, or oh, all else failing, you can go to-, go to my website, which is ernestcrocker.com dot com, and read about it and order a book there. Okay. Uh, there are Ernest, about
0: 1,000 in Australia, I think, at the moment. Okay, ernestcrocker.com. Uh, to get a hold of the book, uh, just uh, perhaps uh, even on the Coorong site, uh, Google yep. the book, The Man in White, Ernest Crocker, and you'll find somewhere where you can be able to buy that online. You've written a number that of other on. books too. I'll well, just uh, touch the first yeah. one you wrote, uh, Nine Minutes Past Midnight and That's right. When yeah. Oceans Roar. And yes, uh, which deals with courageous faith. So there's a number of books that people will get when they do Google Ernest Crocker. Yeah. Uh, just quickly too, on the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia, there's a website there. What are people likely to uh, to see when they when they visit the website? Do you want uh, Do you want? I mean, I imagine this is not just for doctors. This is for doctors and nursing and anyone who's in any sort of allied right. health profession to be a part of I'm that. Fine,
1: Doctors, nurses, uh, first responders, dentists, um, medical students, you know, you'll find something there for you. Uh, uh, and we've just had a wonderful um, uh, webinar that I put together with, with the help of others on moral distress, you know, the way doctors are being forced into things they don't want to do. So there's all that sort of useful stuff there. Um, and, uh, some, and we have Luke's journal online now, which is, which is articles by Christian doctors. Uh, and nurses um, about uh, how to proceed as a Christian in healthcare and life in general. So there's all sorts of stuff there.
0: Well, of course, uh, I always love to encourage uh, those sorts of things where people are a part of medical and dental. Uh, fraternal, that you are able to join the CMDFA, the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia, because uh, when you start getting all sorts of momentum there, when you've got momentum there, uh, all sorts of extra influence happens. So uh, for those who are listening in today, got any sort of uh, medical connections, uh, visit CMDFA and uh, however you do that, uh, sign up for your membership, be part of it. Uh, Ernest Crocker, just great getting your insights. Thank you for sharing your stories, uh, sharing your heart with us today. And I know that listeners will be impressed to get a hold of your book. ErnestCrocker.com is the website or visit Koorong, uh, and you'll be able to get a hold of The Man in White. Ernest, thanks for joining us today on 2020. Wonderful, Neil. Thank you for having me.